guys are uh, kicking off a new series. If you're gonna, it's kind of a longer series for us. It's a um, series um, of nine weeks. We're gonna spend the next nine weeks chewing on and launching from this scripture. If you're if you're not familiar with kind of our teaching style around here, we'll kind of get on a concept. And we just look at it, chew on it, meditate on it, and it becomes our launching pad. And we see all these different directions we can go. And we're going to be looking at this concept. And we simply call this series whatever, but not in the what your teenager tells you whatever. Okay? Not in the smart aleck kind of whatever. This is, is whatever in the big, ginormous, that it's just like the whole thing is open to you, whatever. There's some big words in the Bible like whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm so glad because that lets Brandon Clark fall in there because I'm a whosoever and so are you. When we think about this concept of our thoughts and that's what we're going to be looking at over the next nine weeks, our thoughts and how that connects. And normally when we say, well, we need to think about, you know, things that are godly. All of a sudden, for some reason, our are the possibilities go in our mind. Oh, I need to sit there and think about sweet things. I need to think about angels and harps and, and what it means to be in heaven. And I, I need to, to think about, uh, you know, and reading my Bible. And if I'm going to have godly thoughts, I love it that as we look at this, it's whatever. That means it's broad. And then we begin to get these jumping off points of these just explosive whatevers. And we're going to look at these incredible launching points and say, here, here's your concept. Run with it. Whatever falls in here, let your mind be on that. And that's where genuine God creativity comes from. That's where the life that you're called to live blasts out of these whatevers. This isn't God isn't asking us to narrow and have these tight little thoughts. He's talking to unloose the creativity of him on the inside and have this big, awesome, powerful, God-honoring thought life that then generates our decisions and all of these different things. Let's go ahead and get into your notes. It says, our lives are built by the choices we make. It's just the truth. And how we think and what we think about guide our decision process. Now, I'm going to give you a story I've never told publicly, okay? Simply because this can go, okay, Pastor Brandon is a kook, okay? And I don't want that. I'm not, I don't think I'm a kook, okay? And um, so I've never told this story in public because you have to understand it. It can seem weird, okay? And uh, so, but we preface it, but we look in the scriptures and there's some times that God tells some men of God to do some interesting things. Like one guy to lie on his side for a long time, okay? One guy to take a, a, a belt and stick it up in a wall and let it rot and then come back and look at it later. And he prophetically and begins to use this as these tangible things as teaching lessons, okay? And it's the same Holy Spirit that I think can do that kind of concept with us. You know, I use stories all the time to relate, and we'll have some of those today to help us connect with some concepts. So just understand that this, this is a biblical concept, even though it's rare, okay? So now I'm going to tell you a story. It's, it's, it's not that bad. Um, back when I was going through a school of ministry, um, that was a local school of ministry, not where I got my doctorate or any of that, but my local impartation 
mentoring school of ministry. It's really impacted my life. Um, I was also the youth director. I've been the youth director, youth pastor for a few years. And things that were going in a direction, and I was just really, fr- I knew God wanted to carry things in a different direction. And I was, I was really frustrated. I was having a hard time discerning what the Holy Spirit was wanting. So I, we were in a prayer meeting, and I was, I was just sitting there just praying and saying, God, I'm just, I'm just hitting a wall. I just kept having these things and my ideas of what ministry looked like. Just simply how I had been raised, what I had seen, all of the different things. They build little boxes for us. And then we kind of try to operate inside those little boxes. And, and what I felt like God was doing, it just kept not f- quite fitting in those boxes. And I was frustrated. So I'm sitting there and I'm just praying. I'm just talking to God and I'm just frustrated. And I kept s- sensing this silly prompting of the Holy Spirit to simply, now I'm not athletic, so this is going to take some help. That to simply stand on my head. I told you it's weird. That I was simply to just stand on my head. I've never had the Holy Spirit ask me anything like that again. And I'm just, I'm just, we're in a prayer meeting. There's other people there. I'm like, God, this is just, this is just weird. God, I'm just having a problem with this. And it just doesn't go away. It just doesn't go away. And so I'm finally, I'm like, oh. Lord. So I go and I find a dark corner that nobody can see me in. For one thing, I needed the corner to balance me. And the other thing, I didn't want people to see me. And so I simply go and I prop myself up upside down in the corner. Of course, all the blood's rushing to my head and I'm standing on my head in the corner. And now I'm in prayer in the corner, standing on my head. And I'm just sitting there and one of the pastors comes by. And looks down. And he told my son the story recently. He got to spend some time with him. And that was his one story. He wanted to tell. I remember your dad stood on his head. Uh, of course, that's the one you got to tell. And um, so he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm standing on my head. And uh, so I'm sitting there. And he leaves me alone. I'm standing on my head. And I'm like, all right. What? Now what? I, I, I didn't know what to pray. I'd done what I felt like he told me to do. I'm sitting there. I'm like, now what? And the Holy Spirit just dropped in me. He said, you need a new perspective. And I was like, <sighs> and I'm just sitting there, and I just, I just come out of the corner, and boom. I was like, all right, God. And as soon as every time I began to do, I was like, okay, you're going to give me a new perspective. And all the old paradigms, all the old constructs, all the other stuff that I kept butting my head in, I knew it was okay to ditch them and not let that be my guide anymore because God was going to give me a new perspective. It was on the other side of that, that all of a sudden, instead of having a very tight, closed group that we meant reached out to, that they were God-loving, wonderful, but we were so inwardly focused, we began to be outwardly focused. And then instead, we look up, and in a couple years, we're running bus routes and, and being evangelistic and doing all sorts of awesome things. And instead of having a group of, of 40, we have a group of 220. And it's just like, man, God just began to impact lives, and hundreds of teenagers began to be impacted, and all because I got a new perspective. The way we think changes everything and my heart for you as a pastor is that as we track over this series is that just degree by degree by degree we all get a new perspective i'm not done changing 
God's still affecting us. Just the fact that we're doing portable church and doing it this way. And, and I was raised to be in a suit and a tie and shiny shoes. And, and I mean, it just uh, things just completely different than the way we do men. And we're just not done because God is about reaching people and touching people and changing their lives. And he doesn't want man's restrictions on that. It's to sit there and reach people where they are. And here's the thing. Whenever we understand and we begin to let the creativity of God burst out of us and, and invade our minds, let's look at what Paul tells the Philippians. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever's true, isn't that awesome? Whatever's true. That's a great, big, huge, awesome expanse of stuff. Whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There we are. You want to know what do you do with your thought life as a believer? There you go. Let it run crazy on one of these whatevers. That's where we get to dream God's dreams because they're noble and they're pure and they're wonderful. And it's a big whatever that nobody's ever thought of before. Not this little construct that a bunch of religious people say, no, this is it. This is how you think. This is it. No. It's as big as the God of the universe himself. This, is a, this should be our thought. This should be the way we do this. And we it shouldn't be afraid of what's happening between our ears. So many believers wish they could just turn their minds off because they've programmed themselves for them to go in a destructive path. And they're afraid of being left alone with their own thoughts. When really, God created us in His image as creative beings so that our minds can operate. It shouldn't be something we're intimidated of. But there's some process between operating in the old and operating in the new. See, how we think determines how we live, and our thinking our thinking matters. I've shared this illustration before, and it's, it's just funny to me, and so many other people don't think it's funny, but I'm going to tell it because I think it's funny. And, um, and so when I was at ASU, my, my first, sem my first uh, semester at, uh, here, my roommate lived in Brownsville, which if you're not from around here, that's a long ways away. And um, he went home every weekend to see his fiance from San Angelo to Brownsville drove to Brownsville and back every weekend that didn't miss class he made it he did it he drove that's just love right there or fear one of the other <laughs> and so and uh, sometimes he just acted like he was he needed to get back or she was going to be mad anyways and so uh, but uh, anyways he had shared with me a fear of his that he, that on all those trips that that he would run into a drunk driver. And he had always heard that if you see headlights in your lane, then what you need to do is you need to turn to the shoulder. Don't go get into their lane because all of a sudden at the last second, they're going to come to and then they're going to correct and they're going to get back in their lane and then you have a head on in their lane. So he's like, always go right. So he was prepared and he went over and he had his plan. And he was so afraid of running into a drunk driver. Sure enough, I get a call, 3 o'clock in the morning. Brandon... This is before cell phones. So my old dorm room, old school phone with a wire and everything, <laughs> rings, and 
So he rings and gets me up, and I have to go head towards down south. And I don't even remember what town I picked him up in, somewhere between here and Brownsville. And he had been in a wreck. And so all he told me is, I've been in a wreck, and I need you to come get me. So I went, and I went and got him. And on the way back, he's shook up. He's upset. His truck's totaled. And he's just quiet for a while. And finally, I'm like, how did this wreck happen? And he said, well, and he tells me that he's on this curve. And he sees these headlights in his lane. And he's just totally freaking out. And he's like, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. He's like, okay, I know what to do. I know what to do. I know what to do. And he's just plowing along, plowing along. And he, at the last second, goes over and gets off the road and gets onto the, uh, onto the shoulder and off onto the soft part of the grass and, and smashes into a car that's parked there that happened to be shining their lights down in the ditch working on somebody else's car. And so thank goodness nobody was hurt, you know. And so and he tells me this, and as he tells me, all I'm doing, okay, folks, I'm not a jerk, please. I'm envisioning the people on the side of the road, okay. They're sitting there, and this car's minding its own business, well off the, well off the street, helping them out. And this truck comes along, and at the last second goes, boom! Just like had a vendetta against it for no reason, just jumps lanes and smashes into it. And I just saw that in my mind, and he tells me his heartbreaking story, and I busted up laughing so hard. I had that belly laugh. I'm just laughing, and he's like, you jerk. Why? It's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just saw it from the perspective of the people on the side of the road. But what set him up is he, was, he meditated, and he was so fearful. I mean, he had lived that wreck 72 times before it ever happened. And then sadly, instead of being clear-headed and having a plan and, and being able to operate, he created what he was afraid of. He created what he was afraid of. He did not, it did not have to happen that way. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Our thought life is part of loving God. This is the greatest, first and greatest commandment. Proverbs 23 says, do not eat the bread of one having an evil eye or is greedy. Do not desire his delicacies for he, as he reasons in his heart, so is he. He says to you, eat and drink, but in his heart it's not with you, and you shall vomit up every bit that's eaten and spoil your pleasant words. New King James says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. No matter what's happening on the outside, he says, oh, yeah, enjoy everything I have for you. He's a greedy, miser man, and he's hating the fact he's taking something off his table. Because as he thinks in his heart, not what's happening on the outside, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. That is our reality. And that's why Proverbs 4, 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Other verses, issue, ver, <coughs> versions say, for out of it spring the issues of life. This is where this is coming up out of. It's growing up out of your heart. So we're going to be talking about these things, these thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Seeing, and well, Quickly, I, w- I want to point out that seeing where humanity's thinking initially went wrong, gives us insight into how to correct our thinking. See, let's look at Genesis chapter 3. Here it says where the Adam and Eve are going back to the garden, and they've been told by God. You've got the whole place. 
eat whatever. Got a whole bunch of whatever trees all over the place. It says you've got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. You can have the tree of life. That's fine. Just stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only one. Don't eat it. And the day that you eat it, you will surely die, is what they're told. And we pick up right here in Genesis 3, verse 4. And this is the serpent talking to the woman. It says, you will surely not die, immediately call, calling God a liar. What he told you just isn't the truth. Now, they have no premise for a lies to even exist. Adam and Eve haven't lied to each other. God's never lied to them. This is a foreign concept that they've been presented something that was invalid. It's a complete foreign concept. You and I deal with it all the time. But they'd never dealt with it. And he's being called a liar. And he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Like he's trying to hold it back. He's trying to keep you down. No experience of that either. And when the woman saw that the fruit was of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. They were naked the whole time. Naked the whole time. And all of a sudden, there an awareness of their nakedness comes on. And so they sew fig leaves together and they make coverings for themselves. Nobody else is around. It's just the two of them and they're married. And they're, they're, they know they're married to the right person because God handcrafted Eve and gave her to Adam. Without a doubt, they're married to the right people. They're married. Guess what, folks? Naked and married is okay. It's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. And here they are. <laughs> here they are. Nobody else around. They're not having to worry about the guy about around the next tree. There's nothing. And all of a sudden, they're just, ooh, ooh, don't see me. Don't look at me. And sew stuff up. Why? Because their mind was flooded with the evil use of the naked form. And shame came with it. They had not done anything to be ashamed of with their bodies. Just all of a sudden, the thoughts of it brought shame. Their minds were aware of it. Whenever you disconnect the other, then they could be naked all they wanted. Society could have lived clothes free. Had we all stayed there because there would have been no improper use of the naked form. So it didn't matter. But everything went south, and it went south right between their ears. And not that all of a sudden they did, they violated and did a bunch of stuff. It simply went south between their ears. And then in verse 11, God says, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? There's only one way you have a concept of nakedness. Nakedness isn't the, isn't the same as nudity, okay? It's to be unclothed, to be uncovered. Who told you you were uncovered? Who told you something ought to be on top of that, covering it? All of a sudden, their thoughts, and now in their minds, 
there's two possibilities. There's an awareness of the good, the beautiful, the wonderful, and an awareness of the evil. Both of them existing in their mind. That's where you and I are at. And that's why Paul tells us whatever is noble, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is excellent, praiseworthy, whatever is lovely and admirable, Think on those things. Why? Because you and I are going to have to govern our thoughts and put them because they can go another way. There's another, there's something else to think about that's not life-giving and is destructive and will affect your decisions. And I'm telling you, if you think that you can let your mind go and it's not going to have any ramifications, you are kidding yourself. You are completely kidding yourself. Where you, what you meditate on will eventually manifest in your life. It simply will. See, to love God completely and to live life fully, our thought life needs to be directed by the Holy Spirit. We invite God back into that place where we kicked him out with our own rebellion and say, no, we want to know everything. We want to have know what's everything that's on the table. He says, I just want it good for you. See, Romans 8, 6 says, the mind of sinful man is death. So let's not get on that. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. All of this stuff of what's noble and pure and lovely, it all falls into what the Holy Spirit is guiding our minds to. And it's not just poopy cloud stuff. It's inventions, it's creativity, it's, it's how we deal with our relationships, it's how we operate as, as employers and employees. It's how can I be a noble employer? How can I be a noble employee? How can I be a noble husband and a noble father, an excellent and praiseworthy husband and father? My gosh, why would life look different if you and I got up in the morning and said, how can I live my life to where it's excellent and praiseworthy? Just that. Change everything. And then just everything we do, the way we carry ourselves and operate our grocery baskets in H-E-B and don't get in people's way and be mean about it. (laughs) Sorry. I have the microphone. (laughs) Philippians 4.8. We went over those. 2 Corinthians 10. says, the weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. They're on the contrary We have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Every one of these things have to do with our thought patterns. Every one of them. We think of these strongholds as being some sort of big demonic thing. No, these are our thoughts or the strongholds. That's it. It's not this big, mean devil out there. It's the way we think. Demolishing arguments. Well, I should be able to do it. I'm an American. This is a free world. Well, maybe you should be able to. God gives you the freedom. But that doesn't mean it's life-giving. That doesn't mean you should do it. That doesn't mean you're going to get the results you desire. Demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought. To make it obedient to Christ. And it's not to Jesus. It's to his office. To the Christ. To the anointed one and his anointing. That removes burdens and destroys yokes. How many of us have been burdened and yoked. By thoughts. 
unforgiveness, vain imaginations, all sorts of crazy stuff, self-hate, hate of others. Invite God in and let his anointing destroy that mess. See, Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's the renewing of the mind. And you know who he's talking to? Believers. He's talking to believers. So guess what? Don't be so hard on yourself. Say, well, I said yes to Jesus and I prayed that prayer and I still have bad thoughts. Yes, because they need to be renewed. That's part of the regenerative process of being alive in Christ. You're heaven ready, but your mind still thinks like hell. It needs to be renewed. It needs to be refreshed by the Holy Spirit. So just instead of getting all guilty and beating yourself up for it, just get in the presence of God and allow him to begin to, to work and to, to, to allow his spirit to shift things. Then you're going to be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As we close, I want us to make sure we understand that we have a weapon that helps us to know how to think correctly. And it's simply, it's the word of God. It's God's word. Let's look at Ephesians 6. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing between the soul and the Spirit. We want to be led by the Spirit. Our soul, that sounds like, oh, Jesus saved my soul. That sounds like spirit, soul, the same thing. They're not. Our soul is our mind, our will, and emotions. Okay? And our soul can get all wound up and, and lead us in a wrong direction. The spirit will lead us in the right direction every time. But your soul, that is still needing to be renewed, can lead you in a wrong direction. So we need the word of God to determine. Because sometimes we have a hard time to discerning between which is soul-led and which is spirit-led. And that's why we need the word of God. Because it's able to d- 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 differentiate between the two. It judges the thoughts, the word of God. Oh, how awesome is it? It judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And then the last thing let's look at is Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Why? Because the church, these are believers. Okay, When we come, we're not this, but he makes us this. To make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. It cleanses us. It changes us. It knocks all the debris and the yuck off and lets the new creation show. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It's because he loves us and he gave himself up. And he wants to complete the work that he began in us. And his word does that. And that's his presence and his spirit. See, folks, we must choose to make the truth God has given us in his word be the foundation for what we think. That's why we spend time in the word. Not because it's a religious obligation, but because it changes our lives. Helps us to think right and make decisions right and quit hurting ourselves and hurting others and be who God created us to be. Changes everything. And this moment, this regenerative thing starts as soon as we place our faith in Christ, we recognize that we need a Savior and Jesus is Him. It's nothing that we do. It's everything that He did and we just believe it and say, God, that's right. He did that for me and I believe it. 
And then we're heaven ready, and then he begins to work on the inside of us to change us from the inside out. I want to create a quiet moment right here when nobody's looking around. And, and if that's you, you say, Brandon, I need that. I don't want to come and be a part of a bunch of religious obligation, but I do want, and I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, that he loved me that much, and that he did death so that I could have life. And I want to, I want to place my faith in that today. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. And we're going to pray with you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So good. Yes, yes. Yes. Believers, let's just lift our voices with these. They've believed in their heart. They're about to confess with their mouth. They're, they're our family. Let's just all pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus. He paid the price for my decisions. That I'm heaven ready because of what Jesus did. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I invite you into my thoughts. Renew me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Yes, yes, let's celebrate. Woo!